Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders worldwide. Out of cycle, unplanned update. Now that uh, so for some odd reason, <laughs> Cytomask randomly decided to let me go in after multiple crashes and issues, and I covered on social media that it got to a point and then just simply wouldn't behave, and then all of a sudden it randomly let me in. So either they changed something on the back end or there's just issues. My theory, and it's only a theory because I'm not in that room, but my theory is that there's something weird with the way that they're sending the data across and then allowing the application to query the data back. And as I mentioned, they're not trapping errors. So there's no way for the interface to tell the user what's going on and just wait or whatever it needs to do. So it did seem to work after a multitude of tries. Now, this will be pretty darn quick. So I'm just going to run down everything I see that stands out. What I did is I created a whole new wallet. I was not going to import any of my existing wallets I care about. When I started having an issue with the created wallet, I figured I'd take one of the throwaway wallets. I have a throwaway wallet and made a mask. I have two of them. And the, the, their sole purpose in existence is for me to do exactly what I'm doing here, which is to import, make sure it works, see if there's any issues, and kick the tires on things without any risk. And there's a little bit of Ethereum in there, and I can do some simple things. But here I said, okay, it's Satama. It's had some issues. The tools had issues. And so I don't even trust them with the small bit of Ethereum that I don't care about. So I'll just create a new wallet from scratch. That's fine. And I'll kick the tires and just do the same exercise I would do from start to finish if I were a new investor. Because, of course, the pitch, as you will, is around people that need financial education and, and assistance. And so I should theoretically go through it as a newbie, right? So I figured I'd do that. Well, the first experience of not even being able to get into the application wasn't good. That was a network connection issue that you probably ran into if you're listening to this and you're running through it. But also some other people on Android just had instant crash. I'll call it insta crash as it were. I didn't have insta crash. I was at least able to get to the form, at least able to render the form, at least able to render the registration form, and then I would get the network connection issue. Once I got past that and I got all the registration information and it finally stopped with the network connection, then it was doing me the multi-factor auth. So it asked for a six digit code. I saw issue number one with the six-digit code. So first, I did the code. Okay, that's fine. And then it did the crash. Okay, so we knew that there's an issue there, but now I need to do it again. But I assume that because I've already done multi-factor, that I've already, I'm good to go for that session, quote-unquote. And so I don't expect to be prompted again going back into the tool after it crashed because that doesn't make any sense. But... It, because usually what you're doing is multi-factor for two reasons. Number one, to create the account and just verify the email address because you are required to give an email address for this application. It doesn't ask you for a name, but it does require an email address. So I assumed that you give an email address and you're doing the six-digit code just to verify the email address is correct. That would be a one-time ping. You wouldn't do it over and over again. However, after the crashed and then I went back in, it asked me for the code again. Okay. Go ahead and send me another code. It sent me the same code as before. Now, if you understand multi-factor authentication, and many of you may not, but multi-factor authentication's core concept is that this number should be changing. It should be rotating. It should be different each and every time you render it. Why? Because if somebody got access to the code, they could breach your account. So you shouldn't be generating the same code repeated times because that means that somebody could take that code and get access to your account on subsequent runs. Now, it may be that the cycling, because usually there's a schedule and a cycling and a timing for when they regenerate the code is just too darn long. Usually what I've seen is that you'll put the code in, 
Once the code is consumed, it immediately generates a new code so that the next time somebody goes in, you're never going to get the exact same code within subsequent runs because it's always going to generate a new code based on the fact that the previous code was used. It doesn't look like that's happening here because I went in the first time with the code, got past that point, and then when I had to go back in, it gave me the exact same code a second time. The second thing I noticed is that the email went to junk, spam, as some people call it. This is not unexpected. However, it is another preventable thing because emails go to spam when there's something about the email that your mail server does not trust and then it needs you to whitelist it. So you can manually go and whitelist all you care to, but it's actually very easy upstream to have whitelisted those emails so that they don't go to spam. Why do I know this is a thing? Because I have exchanges. I use Zellbank, I use Hotbit, I use, I don't use Bitmart anymore, but I use KuCoin, Gate.io, uh, Cointiger. I use all these exchanges. None of them have ever gone to spam, not a single one. So normally I would expect that you would take whatever they did, which usually has to do with security and signing and that kind of stuff, copy whatever they did to make sure it doesn't go to spam. Yes, it's easy to whitelist it. However, it's another step for the user that I don't think the users have to do, especially fresh off the heels of other technical issues. And yes, it's a low priority thing. And no, it's not an urgent thing. However, it's yet another thing. That's my point. Okay, so then I get the six-digit code and I put it through and then it says, all right, you want to create a wallet? You want to import a wallet? I'm not giving you my wallet, so I go ahead and create a wallet. Okay, so then you create a wallet, and this process is the same. This is a standard process across any sort of wallet-type tool. You will get a mnemonic phase, phrase, as they call it, which is basically your, usually it's 12-word phrase long, and you have to then repeat it back to the tool to verify you got it. Every tool, it's not just them, but every tool blocks the ability to screenshot this However, some tools are smart enough, I believe Guarda is one of them, to allow you to copy that code. Why do I want to copy it? Because what I usually will do is I will turn it into a QR code and store it in a file. Why do I do that? Because I have a lot of wallets. If you only have one wallet, you may not care. However, if you saw the story about the guy who lost millions and millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin because he lost his phrase, you start to get a little bit paranoid and you'd like the ability to properly copy in your way, not the way the tool wants you to do. Cause there's a backup option, but the backup option isn't really a backup option in the traditional sense. It's not like with trust where it says, yeah, we can sync your, sync your Google drive or whatever you want to do. And that might be okay. The problem is what if that cloud fails? What if you can't get access to it? What if you lose access to internet? No, I'd rather have it as a paper QR code and I keep it in a file so that nobody can touch it unless they get access to that book and it, they have to know where it is in my home, which means they'd have to know what to look for and they'd have to know how to interpret the code and the code is encrypted. Yes, I'm that paranoid. So you cannot do screenshots. Thus, I have to do the ghetto walk around of screenshotting it from another device to this device to be able to get it. Now, fortunately, I'm using a tablet where the screen is nice and large and that seemed to reasonably work. However, it was not the quality I expected but at least will get me going for now. All right, so then I do all this and it says, all right, make sure verify you got your code. So you reenter the code, it says it's happy and it's like, all right, loading and then it crashed. And then this happened at least 12 times. I gave it multiple chances. I did the clear cache. I did the four stop. I'm on Android because I'm a winner. I did all the stuff that you're supposed to do in this event that you see apps crashing because there could be situations where the cache is corrupted or whatever the joke happens. Did all that stuff, still didn't do it. Uninstalled it, reinstalled it, did all this. When I uninstalled and reinstalled, though, 
course, that deletes all databases and everything's fresh start. So I go back in there and I put in the login and password that I chose, which are throwaway logins and passwords. And it says, all right, do you want to create a wallet or import it? Because I already did this. So it was kind of weird that it's asking me again, which tells me that for whatever reason, the connection between the account and the wallet that this created didn't take place. So there could have been a delay or something went wrong where it may not have waited long enough. I'm not sure. Ultimately, it's asking me to create a wallet again. Just to make sure, because when you do that mnemonic phrase, that's coming through blockchain, which means that the Cytomask doesn't have access to that series of letters and, and digits, or in this case, letters. It doesn't have access to it. So I figured, okay, let's go ahead and put that in, because maybe it just forgot that it belongs to you, and I just need to associate it. So I put in this phrase, and it's going through and doing its thing. and says, all right, let's go and load your stuff, and then crashes again. Okay, well, so... I'm thinking there's something weird that the developers didn't trap in the code where you're supposed to trap it. There's some critical failure. And I suspect it's something where it's not either it's not associating to the account timely or it's not getting a response from blockchain quickly. But I don't think it's the blockchain because it did know about the phrase and the phrase did work eventually when the tool worked. So I'm assuming there's some delay in the account they create to the wallet address and being able to associate it where when you try to log in, if it hasn't made that connection yet, they didn't trap code that says, okay, just wait, 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 and give a message to the user says this may take a few minutes. We're doing whatever we got to do and just keep rechecking it. Don't just give up after one and crash and say, screw you. That's an assumption. I'm not in that room. So then, all right, I've go ahead and kill it, kill off the cache. You know, I didn't kill the database this time. I just killed the cache and killed it off. And then, waited a little bit and then launched it back in and then logged back in and then all of a sudden the interface comes up. Okay, that was random, but the interface did come up. It is in, so far it's been stable. Of course, the night is young, but it, it seems to be working and I was able to navigate. Now here's what I noticed when I got into the tool. Number one, it appears as though, you know those games, if anybody plays games or some movies will do it, like some animes will do it, and your main characters, they all have detail, they have faces, they have smiles, hair. And anybody who's in the background, they're just a blank face, like the blank face dude off Batman, right? It's just a blank face. That's what the Satama logo is. He has a blank face. He has no eyes. He has no mouth. The colors don't match the logo, and that's whatever. But he has no eyes. He has no mouth, so I'm not sure, and no nose. So I'm not sure that was intentional. Like we're basically saying, look, he can't see anything yet because we haven't added anything yet, or he can't see you because there's nobody that can log into it. Like, what is the reason he has no eyes and no nose and no mouth? I'm not sure what that's all about. But that was the first thing I noticed. It's like, that's kind of weird. And it's all throughout the interface. Okay, so then at the bottom, you would add the cryptos that you want to keep an eye on or that you want to do trades with or that you want to do something with. So there's a little plus sign dealy. And it has a list of all of the cryptos that I'm assuming that they vetted to be on this deal. And as I look through the list, most of these are kind of your higher level tokens, you know, like Pancake Swap, which is, and it doesn't show you the call sign, it shows you the name. So you may know it by the call sign. So for example, if I look at Pancake Swap is its name, but the call sign is Cake that we know it. Bitcoin is BTC, Ethereum's ETH, Tether's USDT. Binance Coin is BNB, Solana's SOL, uh, Cardano's ADA, XRP, which is called as XRP, even though its name is Ripple, so that's kind of weird. So, like, there's no consistency in the call sign versus name. 
presentation, to me, it should show both. The reason I say it should show both is that somebody might have just told you on the street, you buy some of that XRP, doop, 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 and you can see XRP. But what if they say, buy some KCC, doop, doop, doop? You wouldn't know that's KuCoin's coin <laughs> because you, you could guess maybe, but maybe you don't know. And your Cytomast doesn't show it. So I think they should show the call sign and the name. I don't know how difficult that is. I'm assuming not because, you know, it's in coin market cap. So I would assume that you should be able to do it. But that's not there. And I don't see any of the four tokens that I would expect it to be here. I don't see any Kishimoto in here. I don't know if they should be in here. Whatever that other one was, I saw it. I was watching it earlier, Wafer, whatever that one is. I don't see that one in here. I don't see, I certainly don't see Lily like I expected to. Maybe it's in the list and I'm skipping it, but I'm not seeing it. Most of these are the big tokens, and I wouldn't expect to see, I would expect to see big tokens like, a you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, sure, but I would also expect to see the lesser ones that they plan to have on there. And maybe it's in a different area, but it's not obvious and prominent in the front screen where I would assume it should be. So I say, all right, cool. I start clicking around, and then there's an option to do swap. And swap, I'm assuming, is exactly what you would describe, where you would swap from token A to token B. Makes sense to me. Just like a sushi swap or a pancake swap, et cetera. And just like those interfaces, you select your parent token, and it only lets you do two by default. If you do add, it wants you to plug in the ERC address to add to Cytomask. Well, that's pretty cool. Here's the problem. It appears that there's some human on the background who is vetting whatever you added in there, which is a delay, which means that if you're thinking 300,000 people using this thing, I don't think they have enough people to be sitting there vetting every single ERC-20 token out there. There's a lot of them out there. I don't know why they have it as the manual review unless they plan to do it at least initially just to kind of get a sense of what people are requesting so they can aggregate it and add it to the list. But, I mean, geez, there's a slew of ERC tokens out there. To me, it should just simply, what I'd love to see is what every swap does, which is just simply allow the user to add the CoinGecko list, the other lists that are already out there that we already know about, like the Uniswap list. That would be good. Um, maybe the CoinGecko list, but it's, it's kind of big. And then just simply query, that would be nice, query the ERC address, and it goes out and says, hey, I found this in CoinGecko. Do you want to import it? rather than having a human as part of the equation because that defeats the purpose of the evolution of finance, in my personal opinion. it That's what it looks like because when you submit an address, it says, all right, we'll get back to you when we take a look at it we approve it. Well, why is a human approving it? I'm not sure. It does allow you to select Satama as the source, but because you have to wait on the approval of the destination token, there's no way to see what that gas fee might look like because what I wanted to see was, all right, let me pick a token that I know is harmless. It's ERC. I want to plug it in there. And I'll assume that I'm using, let's say, a million Satama, which is a few cents at most. Try to buy this other one just to see what the gas fee would come back as. And it didn't work. And so because I'm only dealing with a pair of Satama and Ethereum, I'm assuming that there's also the expectation of a liquidity pool in order to be do, doing that transaction. But because it doesn't let me plug the token in there that I want, I can't prove or disprove that is the case. I only can assume it that we have to wait for the human to properly duly vet it, and they unfortunately had the power to say no, which is somewhat disappointing because if I go to one inch or Uniswap, I can put any token in there I want, and there's never a human part of the equation. So right there, it's lost the main sales appeal, which is to not have to have humans as part of the equation. So then it's got you know the graph for the token, and in this case, it's only Satama, and it's got information that 
Like it'll tell you at a high level how much guay, and a guay, of course, is the gas price. It's not the gas charge, but the price of the fuel. And then there's a calculation that goes against how much fuel you need in order to do the transaction. It'll tell you how much the fuel is, and it looks like it's just giving you a quote as to how much that is. It's non-interactive, so I can't tell if that's what it is, but I'm assuming that's what it is. And then, of course, you can turn on multi-factor if you choose to. Uh, there's notifications from the app if you choose to. Ultimately, they did say that a lot of the functionality would not be there day one. So what I see is pretty much consistent with what I would have expected from a functionality perspective for day one. The main disappointment I would call out is the human having to be involved to add an ERC token in order to transact. Because to me, that personally, that defeats the purpose of being able to work with the tool kind of on myself. And it feels like, hey, we're trying to protect you from yourself and I don't want to, to do that. Of course, they have the purchase options and in the purchase options, we're talking about using fiat in whatever source that you got fiat to then purchase. And I'm assuming it's Satama. And of course, it's got Google Pay. Google Pay is grayed out. It's got bank transfer. Bank transfer is under construction with a hard hat. And this one does have eyes and a nose and a mouth. And it says we're working on a deep, deep, deep. So there's... Now, the weird thing is that Google Pay is under construction, bank transfer is under construction, and most of those are the big sales pitch for people was the ability to buy crypto directly with fiat. I suspect, and I'm not in that room, but I suspect that part of the challenge with doing that with those options is there's a lot more regulatory consideration around taking fiat to do it unless you partner with like MoonPay or I think the other one's called Simple Pay, um, Banksa, one of those other third parties that actually do the merchant work and you just simply pawn it off to them. That's what Gate.io does. I like banks. I think they're great. But if you try to do it directly in the application, now you're taking on a lot of risk. And I think they're trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way to do that if we outsource it, if we do it internally, and then the framework to process cards plus to collect the fees. That's what I suspect. Uh, it does take Ethereum straight up. And it says, deposit Ethereum, how much do you want to buy? That's kind of weird because it says, deposit. Deposit assumes that it already, you already have it and you're putting it in versus buy, which assumes you don't have it, you want to acquire it. So that's a minor terminology thing. Throughout the application, there are these weird, there's weird verbiage where it's just, you can tell that the person who wrote this, their native language is not English. And so it's hard to, some of it's going to be really confusing. There are some spelling errors. There's a few grammatical concerns throughout the application. They're not going to affect your ability to use the tool. But again, I talk about perception. And the perception is that if you haven't taken the time to refine things like verbiage and wording, then how can we trust that you've taken the care and consideration of the security of the product? Now, Certix signed off on it. So I don't have any concerns from a security perspective myself. However, I am one of those fans of making sure that you go through and do a quality check and check for all the different points of verbiage to make sure it's clean. Plus, if you're going to deploy this in other countries where English is not the native language and you may need to use what they refer to as internationalization services, which is translation to multiple other languages, you want to make sure that those words make sense as translated. It's also possible that they wrote it in a different language and then plugged it into Google Translate, which used to be Babelfish, to just get a quick translation, well, that's not good. You need to have a native English speaker that is able to explain it in a way that English speakers will consume it correctly and it comes across as professional and ideally 
we get the spelling correct. And yes, I'm biased as a former Spelling Bee champion. My last point I would say on this on this tool, again, it is visually attractive and performance seems to be very well done. So I have no concerns over the aesthetics of what it's doing. My biggest concern, number one, is anything that requires a human in the equation to me is unacceptable because the whole point is to not have humans in the equation with the exception of customer service. Customer service, I think you should always have at least a human in the equation because there are these nuances to how you do mobile apps. But just using the application on a day-to-day basis to me should not require any sort of human intervention whatsoever. And if it's true that the ERC-20 address has to be, quote, vetted by a human, I think that's absolutely unacceptable because I don't think anybody else should be making a decision of what token that a person chooses to buy into or sell out of. I think it should be ultimately up to that person as long as they have the contract address that they can go and deal with it. Because again, new tokens show up all the time. There's a ton of them out there right now. We can, it's fine if you want to put the code, put the contract code in there and then have the token, the tool automatically go through and run its checks like stay safe, and token sniffer and all these to try to automatically check to see that it is a honeypot or not a honeypot, et cetera. I'm cool with that. What I'm saying is I don't think that we should be having a situation where a human is making the decision. I'm only about the human. And if there's not a human, then the messaging in the tool is improper. However, the one address I put in there to test, it never did show up. So I'm pretty confident that there's got to be a human somewhere in the mix. So that's my rundown of Cytomask as it stands right now. Again, I have no concerns about aesthetics. Aesthetics seem to be on point and largely consistent with what they've shown in the past, and it was eventually able to work. We do know that there are still issues with people who are not able to get into the application. It seems like there's still some issues on the Apple side now, but some were able to get in, some were not. And then some Android people that are dealing with the forced close issues. The network seems to be affecting a couple other people, so it's not fully stable, whatever it is that's going on. And then, of course, the issues, like I said, the logo doesn't match and the grammatical issues, spelling issues, and whatever's going on with the ERC address, certain tokens that are missing that I would expect to be there. So it looks like it's still incomplete and kind of in an unprocessed phase where they're still doing other stuff to it. That's my perception. I'm not in that room. So hopefully that's been informational, beneficial, and helpful. I will check back in tomorrow to see if anything has changed. I'm hesitant to give them any sort of Ethereum until I'm able to add the addresses that I want without a human blocking my way simply because I need to test the process start to finish. I may or may not get significant time to do it because tomorrow's, of course, Monday. And with Monday, there are going to be a couple things. I'm hoping to get an email from these jokers. And if I get that email, that's going to be a very positive thing, I think, for the podcast. But also, I've got another migration that's going to be happening. That's the Dior token. I'm going to be watching that one and going through the process. I got a couple more clarifications on that one. So I want to do everything on that one. I want to make sure I do it start to finish so I can do some coverage on that one. So that one, I believe, is scheduled to start, if not, I believe it's tomorrow, to start the pre-sale. And I want to participate in the pre-sale. I had a pretty decent non-whale bag for the old to new tokens, but I want to kind of contribute to a pre-sale process so I can talk to you about what that experience was like. And I want to talk to you about what the migration was like so you can kind of get a sense of it. So far, it seems like they seem to have perfected how to do the migration in a seamless manner. Of course, we're a little bit ways out. I think it's the 15th where they're 
planning to get the new contract up and running. And then the tokens will be auto-dropped either just before or on that date. Sometime, I believe, this coming week, they'll allow you to do the manual swap of the tokens to the new. And I'm assuming that correlates with the timing of the pre-sale. And that's why I want to do the pre-sale, go through the process, see what it's like, get a sense of the value in the new tokens. The new token, I believe, says $100 billion now. And the current one, I want to say, is $100 quintillion. I believe that's true. It's a, it's a significant drop of the inventory as we as we talked about. So I'll be kind of engaged on Dior token when that starts. And then I'm going to circle back probably Thursday, Wednesday on EarnHub because there are some things happening on that one that I want to address. But that's been my comprehensive update on Cytomask, as it were. I'll check in with you guys tomorrow because I'm starting to get tired. Take care.